welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Welcome to the this podcast today. How are you doing today? I'm great. It's the day after Thanksgiving and I'm still stuffed. <laughs> That's awesome. I think that is a perfect way to be the day after Thanksgiving. I'm really happy with the food that I chose to fill up on too. I, uh, I, I didn't fill up on appetizers. I think that's a rookie mistake. I did a good job pacing and, and uh, holding out for the good stuff at the meal. How about you? Oh, that's great. I So I I made some rookie mistakes, <laughs> but it was mostly because it just um, Thanksgiving dinner just took a little longer because I was mm-hmm. I was I was part of the people making it. And so, um, you know, there's a little mistiming on some things. And then, you know, when you start at 10 o'clock or noon and you don't actually eat until six o'clock. So there's a lot, big window, and I skipped breakfast, which was a rookie mistake again. So <laughs> there's a lot of like, because I'm I'm really good at the uh, the prep work. I'm a I'm a fantastic sous chef if I need to toot my own horn. But nice. So yeah, so I'm I'm doing a lot of the sauces and and the prep work stuff. So automatically I'm already snacking on the things that I'm cutting. So yeah, but it was alright though. I still ate quite enough, and then I fell asleep promptly thereafter. Oh, uh, that's perfect. Yeah, not because I was drinking, but because I'm just old and tired. <laughs> and tired. But it was still a good time. So let's jump in a little bit. I know that there, there's a lot of things that you're working on these days. Uh, podcast host, illustrator, artist, author. But in general, when you meet somebody for the first time and they ask you that question of what it is that you do, how do you describe yourself and your work? I tell people that I'm a children's book author and illustrator and that I host a children's story podcast. Oh, okay. So you list those all out. Excellent. Is there one of those particularly that somebody seems to latch on more than the others? People are pretty interested in the podcast part of things. A lot of people don't know the first thing about it. Sometimes I have to explain the very basic what a podcast is and other people want to get into the tech stuff. So that's usually a good jumping off point for conversation with people. Hmm, okay. Well, so actually let's, before I start talking about your background, let's, let's jump into your podcast quickly. Okay. Um, so I know it's called story spectacular. What, uh, where did that idea of your podcast come from and, and what do you cover? Well, the idea for the podcast came to me when I made the decision to self publish my children's books, I wanted to find a really fun way to promote the books. And I thought, what better way to tell people that I'm a storyteller than to tell stories on a podcast? I get to show rather than tell. And I feel like it's a really authentic way to get the message across. Mm-hmm. So the podcast is is um, original stories and classic retellings. There's also uh, music and jokes and then special guest characters, fictional characters that stop by. So it's 
more of a variety show than just a children's story podcast. Wow. That's that sounds like a lot of work. I mean, how how many hours a, a week do you put into each episode? Oh man, it's it's funny how entrepreneurs will work 80 hours a work a week to avoid the 40-hour work week, and I definitely I find myself I'm working on this thing all day. Mm-hmm. Even if I'm not right at my computer, I'm thinking about it all the time. Uh, so to make about a 10-minute episode, it takes about two hours each episode. Wow. Mm-hmm. So with all the characters that you bring in and, and these tellings, so do, are all the stories yours or do you pull them from like your friends or other writers? And then with the retelling and the different, like, do you bring in voice actors? Do you, are you just really good at, at multiple characters? It's, it's all me at this point. So some of the stories I'll take from the public domain. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll think about what's the emotional core of the story. And then I'll put my own spin, my own update to the story. So, so far, all of these stories that I've recorded, I have a content bank right now of 42 episodes that I've recorded. It's all me. And I'm the only one doing the voice work as well. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's definitely a lot of work. So do you put like, is there uh, one episode out every single week? What's your your timeline with all of those? The episodes drop every Monday and Friday, so it's yep. twice a week. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And about how long are the episodes average-wise? The episodes that drop on Monday, they're longer format, so it's a, an original story, and then there's a reoccurring segment at the end of those episodes. So those ones are about... 10 to 15 minutes and then on the weekends or on friday nights i release sleepy time tales so those are uh classic bedtime stories and lullabies those ones are a little shorter like closer to uh six or seven minutes okay well that's great and when did you officially start your podcast the podcast launched on october 2nd so at the time of this recording it's it's getting close to uh two months now Oh, great. So how's it mm-hmm. how's it going so far? Do you, you like it? Are you having fun? It's really, really crazy to actually have it out in the world because before I launched, I had been working on this for about a year mm-hmm. and everything was in theory. And now that it's out in the world, I'm getting feedback from kids and parents and they're interacting it, with it in a way that I, I, it's unpredictable how people will take your work and how they'll interpret it. So I'm getting really funny questions and comments from parents and kids, and it's it's been really, really fun. Mm-hmm. Are you noticing that it's a good supplement to your the, like your normal or everyday work as a, an author illustrator, or is it like a separate type of people who are contacting you, or how does that seem to work? I've had to build a whole new audience. Uh, before this, I was uh, making most of my living as a painter, And so that was a whole different kind of clientele. Mm -hmm. And now I am growing a brand new audience. I have almost a new identity that I didn't have before. So it's it's been very different interacting with kids. Kids are really honest. They Mm -hmm. give you really honest feedback, very candid. Uh, And you have to really think like a kid in order to market to them. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's been, yeah, the biggest surprise, the biggest change. So how are you marketing to kids? Well, 
I have to market to the parents because they're the ones choosing the content. Mm -hmm. So I have to make sure that it's something that parents would like to en enjoy well. I try to solve the problem of car rides and bedtimes because those are tricky, okay. tricky times for parents. But I also want to make sure that the kid loves what they're listening to. Okay. So it's finding that balance that it's nice for families to listen to together. So the way I try to go about that is by adding a lot of humor to the stories. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's backtrack a little bit uh, before the podcast. So um, clearly you've got an interest in art and, um, and literature. Where did that art interest come from growing up? And, and how did that then translate into what you studied in college? Uh, growing up, I was one of those kooky little kids. I was a total weirdo. I had a lot of energy. And the best way for me to focus my energy was in arts and crafts. I always had my hands busy working on something. Usually it was a total mess, but sometimes I had some pretty cool results. And I really loved music too. I loved listening to music, singing along, playing the piano. And it was one of those things where I wasn't disciplined enough to learn every single song in a book. I would have to uh, listen for a few that I liked. And then those songs that I enjoyed playing, I would just play them over and over again. And I'd get pretty good at those ones, but I wouldn't be able to play like a single other song in a music book. So I noticed that it had to be something I was passionate about in order to be interested and to pursue it. But if I did have that interest, I would take it all the way and master it. Mm -hmm. And then going into high school, a lot of the other classes, math was my least favorite subject. A lot of the classes were just getting through them and trying to pass. And I lived in the art room. That was that was my space that I loved to be. Even instead of taking study halls, I would double up on art classes. I was there all the time. And I loved uh, singing in the chorus. I played the flute for a little while, too. So that was my space where I felt really, really happy and productive. And I carried on with that. And through college, I studied studio art, uh, specializing in painting, but while I was in college, I did a lot of video installation, performance art. I got to play around and do try out a lot of different kinds of art making. Okay. How do you think that growing up in Maine affected your relationship with the, the kinds of art you're doing now? Well, Maine is a very rural place, and I grew up in a very rural part of Maine. <laughs> It's a beautiful part of Maine, lots of mountains, lakes. So the outdoors, it was my playground. And every time the seasons would change, my jungle gym would change too. Mm -hmm. So that, that part of growing up, I got to spend a lot of time alone outside and find my own spaces. Mm -hmm. And I think that allowed me to work by myself when I was older and okay. be comfortable working alone and being alone in my own private space and to be uh, self-directed. And I mean, it's just inspiring to be outside too. It, it's a really, really beautiful state. And that really influenced, especially when I became a painter, the subject matter of my work. I did a lot of landscape paintings. Now I live in Portland, which is on the coast, and I do a lot of nautical scenes too. Mm -hmm. And I, I still love the outdoors. I think it's a really 
it was such a big part of my childhood. And I really am passionate about sharing that in the stories that I tell, too. Okay. So after you graduated, you then started working as a as an artist and you went through this program called called Assets for Artists. What was that like and what was the focus of that program? I would say that that program for me was a, a major tipping point in in taking myself serious as an artist. Mm-hmm. So the program Assets for Artists, they focus on personal finance and business training, and they teach the curriculum in a way that creative right brain people are really comfortable with. And after completing the trainings, we also had a match savings account. So we would save money and those funds would be matched. And then by the time we graduated the program, we had some working capital to invest in our business. So what that program did for me is it made me comfortable with finance because until that point I was scared of money to be honest I mm-hmm. it was something I was really insecure about but one of those things in life when you are afraid of something it usually just means you need to learn a little more about it so that's what that program did for me I didn't leave with all the answers but I left feeling really comfortable to ask questions and seek out other resources when I needed help okay so after that moment, when did you decide to include also being a, uh, a storybook author and illustrator in addition to being a, um, a painter? It took me a long time to get to that point. I painted for years, and uh, over the course of eight years, I sold hundreds of paintings and was getting very comfortable calling myself a painter, mm-hmm. but it was a really simple business. It's a very simple transaction. You hang up a painting someone buys it, they give you money, and that's that's the end. And uh, switching gears to be a children's book author, I mean, I didn't know the first thing about that business. So two years of, of uh, going down that path were research, mm-hmm. going to conferences, meeting with editors, agents, finding out everything I could about that, about the traditional methods of publishing, and also learning about self-publishing. And it took me a long time to make the decision between those two things, too. And uh, one thing that really solidified my decision to be a self-published author, I went to one conference. There was a panel of agents and editors up front, and we submitted anonymous manuscripts of our children's books. And they would read them out loud. And one by one, the agent or editor would raise their hand when they hit the point where they would pass on on the story and put it in the trash pile. And probably two dozen manuscripts were read and not a single agent would have accepted the manuscript. They all passed. Mm -hmm. And at one point, uh, an editor was asked the question, hey, you know, why did you pass on that one? And she said, oh, you know, sometimes I don't like the character's first name. So say the name is Billy. Mm -hmm. I didn't like the name Billy. So I chose to pass on that. And I left kind of stewing after that meeting. I was like, you know, this isn't for me. I I have so many stories I want to tell and I want to be the master. I want to be the person in control of that. Yeah. So and I know that a lot of other people have gone through the method of traditional publishing, working with agents and editors. They're really happy. They've had really great experiences. But it just was something that I knew then and there wasn't going to be the right path for me. So actually, I want to backtrack a little bit. So yeah. 
at the time when you were just focusing on selling your artwork and, and you described, you know, kind of hanging up your paintings and then selling them, how did you do that aspect of it? So did you have, was there uh, your own art gallery? Did you work with regular art galleries or, you know, was there a, a core of buyers that you would then do commissions for? How did you kind of set up your, uh, your art sales that way? It started out as a hobby business. I would sell and hang my artwork up at coffee shops around Portland. And then I forged a relationship with some restaurateurs that own a really, really popular breakfast, lunch, and dinner place. Mm -hmm. And my art complemented their brand. So they allowed me to hang my art exclusively there. It became my exclusive gallery. Mm -hmm. And that was the spot it's been my art has been up there for about nine years now. So that's been the place where people know my art. And uh, it's it's been a really great relationship. It's allowed me to take ownership and make me feel like it's my own space, my own gallery. And what I really like about it, too, is that it's everyday people walking off the street that get to interact with the art. They're not going into a gallery. So it's a lot of different kinds of people that are purchasing the paintings. Mm -hmm. well, that's great. When you were selling at coffee shops, how well did that go in general? It went, it went well. I was, I was really happy to be in those spaces, but again, it was temporary. Mm -hmm. Every time you're hanging, it was a little different. Some places it's suspension hanging, some it's just the nail on the wall. Okay. And I didn't get a regular group of clientele that way versus now that I'm in the same spot, I have people that have purchased, I have someone that's purchased, I think, seven or eight paintings for me. Wow. And so you develop relationships with people where they become fans of your work. Have you priced your art differently moving from the coffee shop to the more permanent location? Yes, I've definitely continued to raise my prices. I think starting out, I mm -hmm. was nervous of charging too much. I didn't feel like it was worth that much. And then the more comfortable I was with it and the more I sold, I was able to start um, – using a like a pricing graph that I have where I'm calculating the hours that I put into it and the size of the painting. So I'm a lot more comfortable asking what I think the pieces are actually worth now too. Mm -hmm. well, that's great. So what was it? Was there something like, I mean, besides selling more paintings, but was there some kind of techniques or was there something mentally that you had to shift to be comfortable with asking for more money for your work? A lot. It was a. It was a lot of things. I think it was me uh, becoming more confident in my craft, and getting feedback from people, uh, and then just getting advice from other people in other fields. They're like, okay, you're you're in a field just like anyone else. You can charge what it's worth. It's it's not a novelty. It's it's somebody's buying this, so it's okay to to ask for for the price that you want. Excellent. So, okay, so let's switch back over then to your children's books. Um, so you, you've released a few of them. And then, you know, as we last mentioned, you were going down the route of self-publishing. So what was it that you focused on to be able to self-publish your books and then actually sell them? I focused on learning the process as much as I can. And there's a lot of great online re resources to do that. And, um, the podcast, I kind of worked in tandem with that. I knew, I knew right away that that was something I wanted to do as well mm -hmm. because I 
loved music and I wanted to find a way that I could tell stories and sing songs too. And so as I'm writing children's stories, I'm thinking about them in terms of, okay, could this be a book? Could this be a podcast or could it be both? Mm -hmm. I really like to be able to synergize my writing whenever I can to have it uh, repurposed into a lot of different kinds of content. So that's been the approach um, starting maybe like a year and a half ago when I made the decision to self-publish and do the podcast. Okay. Oh, great. So, I mean, clearly you're a very busy person. So <laughs> are, are there are there different, you know, apps that you're using or routines that you have in your day that allows you to, to schedule it in a way where you're able to produce the amount of work you need to to, uh, to keep going? Yeah, absolutely. I... I started on an app a little while ago called Simple Habit. It's mm -hmm. a meditation app and it wakes me up at the same time every day and it helps me get into this mind space of, cause I am, I'm working by myself. I'm the one in charge of everything. So I have to really, you know, make sure I'm following through on everything or it won't get done. So it's, it's, it can be a lot of stress. So it's nice to start the day calm and feel like, feel like I can uh, be happy while I'm doing this too. Um, so I'll do that. I'll eat breakfast, make my bed. I, and I even, I started doing this, even though I'm at home, I'll still put on a nice outfit and do my hair and makeup, even though it's just going to be me alone. It still gets me ready, feeling professional for the day instead of just wearing my jammies. Mm -hmm. And um, I try to tackle the most challenging thing first. Usually it's a tech problem and the the worst first attitude I try to go by. And then after I finish those kinds of things, I like to take a break and do something physical. I like to get outside my house and there's a yoga studio uh, down the street from where I live. And I like to go there and do either a dance class, uh, body rolling, something physical, something that gives me a mental break. And usually when I leave those classes, I feel really refreshed. And then uh, the afternoon, I usually tackle the more creative and fun things. Mm -hmm. And that usually goes until 10 o'clock at night. Oh, wow. That sounds mm -hmm. that's a pretty good setup for every single day. Mm -hmm. So with the things that you've done, there has to be some kind of element of, of times where you felt maybe unsure or fearful. When you hit those roadblocks, how do you push past those? Yeah, I'm, I'm experiencing them all the time and it's tricky. I think the first thing I do is I really allow myself to be emotional if I need to. I'm, I say things out loud like, ah, this is so frustrating or, you know, <laughs> I just, I try to get it out and I try not to block those emotions. And then I try to fail forward whenever I can. Mm -hmm. I try not to punish myself over and over again for mistakes. I really try to think about what I did and how I'd like to do things different next time. And I try to keep my ears open uh, with advice from mentors and get feedback that's constructive. I really try to listen to what people are saying instead of being offended or to feel emotionally upset about it. I try to, I try to take that feedback and get better at what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. With everything that you've done, what would you say has been the best advice you've ever received? 
the best advice I ever received was from Esther Johansson. She was one of the uh, um, she was one of the mentors I worked with at the Assets for Artists program. And the first thing she did when we walked into the room and she said, no one is going to give this to you. This is going to be a lot of work and you're the only one that's going to be able to get this done for yourself. And that was a huge wake up call because I, I, I was so excited to get in the program because I was like, oh, match savings. Perfect. Yeah. I'm going to get some money. And it wasn't like that at all. Like we worked really hard to get that money. Mm-hmm. And by the end of it, I was more happy with the education I got than than the money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's wonderful. So, Angela, it's, it's been absolutely fantastic chatting with you today. I really appreciate you taking the time to tell me your story and to walk me through this. Uh, if the listeners would like to see more of your work and listen to your podcast, where is the best places they can go to find all of those? Uh, the one-stop shop where you can find all the information about the podcast, books, and then I even have a, a YouTube channel, videos. You can see all that at storyspectacular.com. And then if you wanted to follow me on social media, I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram, at Storytacular. And then we even have a Story Spectacular Facebook page if you wanted to leave comments. I love hearing from people, so I definitely welcome any notes that your listeners might have. Perfect. I will make sure to put all of those in the show notes. <laughs> well, great. Thank you so much, Angela. Again, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Yuri. It was a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Hour podcast. If you like this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode, it will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, please go to AdvanceYourArt.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. Thank you again, and have a great day.